Awesome. All right, well, good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. I do believe I have it on. Do I have it on? All right, I want to make sure. In the last service, I did not. Anyway, want to say it's a blessing to be with you here in Ocean County, Baptist Church. And uh, I have my, a little, little disoriented, don't have my family with me. Uh, typically, I travel with them full time as we go to the road evangelism. And uh, today, they're not feeling well. I went and preached in Michigan. And I went to the upper peninsula up there of Michigan. Didn't realize how big it was. However, Michigan's a big state. <laughs> it's humongous. Anyway, went up there, brought back a cold, and decided to spread it to the family. And so it's making its rounds right now. It started with Janae. Janae passed it anyway. And so now my wife is the one who's very sick. And so you pray for her. Um, you decided to leave the girls. They, they both, either you bring them together or you don't, or just leave them together <laughs> because they usually can entertain themselves. And so you pray for my wife, Lord willing, my kids will be here tomorrow, um, tomorrow. I'll be here tonight, and uh, you pray our family does travel the country full-time in the ministry of evangelism. I am passionate about the gospel. I don't have words to describe, and uh, what that, the Lord's opened the doors, not only be in the United States, but we also spend three months of our calendar year as a missionary in, in, um, in Central America. So you call me evangelist, you call me a missionary, somehow I guess when you cross borders you change terms, it really doesn't matter to me, whatever it means to preach the gospel, and a full-time basis in Central America. That's what I do. We don't really have to care what you call me. And so we have the opportunity to travel three months out of the year. And so yo estoy tratando de aprender español. I don't know if there's any Spanish speakers in the house, you know, that are there. But anyway, we just, as we are not only just, it's one thing to um, talk in Spanish, another thing to preach in Spanish. And so this coming up year is where um, you pray for me much because you'll probably hear me preach and you're like, yeah, you can't do that in Spanish. And I'm with you on that because I talk incessantly fast in English. And so I'm trying to do that in Spanish and I haven't been able to match that quite yet. And so you pray for our family. Our girls are um, tonight, uh, Lord willing to pass out that you pray for our family as we go out from here. Anyway, hey, uh, this morning during the first service, I preached in the book of Malachi and uh, went through a study that was there. I did not believe Lord want me to go back this direction, so I hope to make not sound bad or sound bad. It said that wasn't a very powerful message. Go, this is the message he was talking about, okay? <laughs> actually, we're going to actually go this evening, I mean this morning for this service, into the book of the Revelation, the book of the Revelation. As you take your Bibles and turning there to the book of Revelation, a thought that I do want to leave with us this and during the first services is a matter of getting with God, but this during this time challenge our thinking and let me give you the illustration by way of where we're going obviously because I am an evangelist I spend a lot of time in church and I go to a lot of churches across the nation and literally across the world I love what God has called me to do but from the churches I go to there's always something that I learn from churches unique ideas the way that they handle things the way they conduct their worship services everybody does things incredibly different especially when you leave the United States to see how people do different things. It's an amazing thought. And like I say, I get tips and I learn from each place I go. You know, I think in this case, I'm going to be talking about a church. As I talk about this church, I want to tell you a little bit about it because I think the interesting takeaway from this is if we wanted God to speak to us, we sometimes pray and say, God, I want you to speak to me. I think he will. He'll tell us what he, what his will is and what he wants us to do. I'm not talking about audible voices, but I'm talking he will reveal to us what he wants us to do. However, the question is, do we want to hear what he has to say? <laughs> 
<laughs> you see, it's not a matter of him not doing it. It's like, no, 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 I wasn't thinking anything like that. I'm thinking something else, right? And so what if this church, we could liken ourselves to a degree? Because the church I'm talking about, uh, I'll tell you a little about the area where the church was located. It was in uh, this place that had uh, three major roads came right by the area of this church, which in a time where roads are very rare, I mean, that's pretty cool. And so it was a major place for commerce. So, I mean, not to be bragging, but this area, I mean, they had some pretty well-to-do folks that were there in this area and as far as in this city and probably represented inside of the church. In fact, if you were to go north of 10 miles of where the church was located and the city was there, it had one of the most premier institution of medicine to be found. In fact, people go all over the world to travel, to come to this city, to be able to train at that university. It was a pretty popular, well-known university. And so the church, if you looked at the area, most likely it would be pretty multicultural because you would have a lot of cultures represented because many of them would be coming to at least do their studies at this area in this city. So it's a pretty neat area to where the church is located. And not only that, but it's not like other churches. This church had resources. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know you can't base it upon everything upon an area because I know this one church, and it's I probably won't even, I mean, he doesn't really care. Whoa, whoa, I think I stepped on something, and I broke it. No, I didn't. Okay, sorry, pastor. It's all good. It's all good. Don't want to be owing any money here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, this, but this one church actually, it's actually a town of literally 40 people. It's not even a town. It's like a township. I don't even know what you call it. But, like, you look at the church, and you're like, okay, the church is in a town of 40 people. The church runs like 200. and has 3 million in the bank. So it's not like the church was, like, hurting. You know what I'm saying? So I know you can't take everything from exactly what the area is like. However, you can draw some different conclusions. And so for this area, again, they had resources, and also it was a place in a city of prestige. It was a neat church, a neat area where the church was located. But here's a sad part, is that God has nothing good to say about the church. I mean, a church that was literally the opportunity to reach nearly every culture in its time. A church that had resources. They had money. And God has nothing good to say about it. You know, as many of you who are already not looking at me, but looking at your Bible and trying to figure out what I'm preaching on, in the book of the Revelation, chapter number three, I'm talking about the church of the Laodicea. Many times, in a lot of cases, the American church is related to that to a bit large extent. It indeed, we indeed, whether you like it or not, we are indeed a church of wealth. My friend, if you, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, it's because you don't want a copy of the Bible. You can go to Dollar Tree and get a copy of the Bible. What I'm saying is, we have resources. This is an area to which many people do come. God has blessed us. But it's sad. If we found a church that was closest to us corporately, as in the, at the church across the United States, this would be the closest letter that if God had to write to us, it would be the church of Laodicea. And if you draw that parallel and we put these dots together, there's obviously always something to learn. But I hope that we would heed something very strong here in this passage. So what if God wrote a letter to the church in the United States of America? I think it would look like this. Book of the Revelation, chapter number 3, verse number 14. 
And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness of God. The beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works. That thou art neither cold nor hot. I <laughs> would. That were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. That thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I, I will come into him. And, and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, let's do the expositional part. Let's get nerdy for just a moment here and understand something, a principle that's being taught here as far as an illustration. Understand very clearly, there are good people who disagree, different commentary, different things about the cold, the hot. Look. They can disagree and come to the same intersection at the end of it. I'm just telling you how I get to this intersection here of just reading the passage as we get to here. The cold and the hot and the lukewarm and what is being spoken of here. Now, um, I, I've heard definitely most definitely about the cold and the hot. Uh, cold being useful and hot being useful and lukewarm not being useful. And so therefore it, it was not working and so therefore he spewed that out of his mouth. You know, I'm like a very literal approach and don't shoot me as I go through the premise of the text, okay? Because again, this is going to set the ground of where we're getting ready to go. All right, like I said, good people disagree, get to the same intersection. However, cold, hot. Hot, the word is zestos. That's the Greek word. You can't really divorce inside your mind the idea of zestos and some type of fervency. It's the same word that's used in the book of Romans when it talked about fervent in spirit. Uh, I think Romans, Corinthians, about fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Has an idea, hot, has an idea of some type of fervency. If that is the case, then I am then going to assume that because that's on this side, that which is being hot, then cold must be the absolute opposite of that. So practically speaking, what we sometimes in our terminology say, hot on fire and cold is not on fire. So you say, Adrian, whoa, 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 you know what you're getting ready to say here. You know what the passage says. I know what the passage says. So you say, Adrian, hold up. You are going to stand by the fact that God would rather me be on fire for him or God would rather being by cold, doing nothing like a lot or something like that, doing nothing for him, then somewhere in the middle. That's what the text says, man. That's what the text says. But you say, don't miss the point. He makes a strong statement. However, you just don't run away from the text after that point because he says in verse number 17, because thou sayest, I said what I said, which is strong. Get it, it's strong. But I said it for a reason. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Look, here's the point. If you go to somebody who's on fire for God, and you say, hey, hey, you're on fire for God, you need him. 
Do you need the Lord in your life? And he was going to tell you, of course I need God in my life. Of course, every day of my life I have to wake up, seek his face. And every day of my life I, I, I must go to him. Of course I need God. Walk over to somebody who is cold. I'm talking like, are you saved? Like a lot. Like, are you really even saved? You say to him, hey, man, do you need God? Do you know what he says? You know I need God. <laughs> you know my life's a wreck. You know I'm barely in church. You know my family is messed up. Of course I need God. Hey, listen, case in point, Lot. Remember when he was there? Cold Christian, whatever you want to call him. Guess what happened? When God spoke, he listened when it came to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't he? And I mean, you, you can make the argument that he is so away from God, he never obeyed God. He heard God's voice then, <laughs> and he acted on it. So, so you go to him, do you need God? Of course I do. But if you go in the middle, hey, man, do you need God? I mean, not that bad. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I need his help every now and again, but. I've been in church forever. <laughs> I, have you not seen our parking lot where we just paid? Have you, <laughs> have you not seen the programs that I'm involved in? <laughs> Why would you even ask me? A, do you know the problem with the middle? They need God. Do you know what Laodicea, do you know what sickens? That's what the word is, so I'm not just overstating. Sicken God is there was a church. That didn't even need God. They had chairs, lights, land, programs, playgrounds, everything. But no God. He says it hurts me that there's an age to which there's a church that doesn't need him. Let's talk about it just for a moment. Let's pray. Father, I do pray. Boy, as we look at later, see it. We see a, a close connection. But God, I do pray, well, that we will be a church that's not identified by what we have, but Lord, but who we know. I pray, Lord, that our dependence will be wholly upon thee. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't try to do this thing of serving you without you. I pray, Lord, that we would love you, Lord, supremely as we go through and do your work. And I pray, Lord, for all the needs inside this room, Lord, that you know about. Lord, I do pray that you to empty me of my and fill me with thy spirit to say that you'd have me to say. Well, maybe your vessel, Lord, undistract to be able to do your undistracted work. I do thank you, Lord, for all things you've done and everything you will do. In Christ, I do pray it all. Amen. So. Really, we're going to take a look, and here's how we're going to divide this passage, because all we're going to do is march through this passage. And as we do, we're going to start in verse number 17. And as we look at start in verse 17, we're going to see the church's perception of themselves, and then secondly, God's perception of the church. So the church sees itself as one way, and God says, I see it another way. So in 17a, here is what the church, spoken of by God, says about itself. Because thou sayest, I am rich. And increase with goods and have need of nothing. You see, 
Sometimes we can use experience and even sometimes we can use our worth and our value and our things as a substitute for the Holy Spirit of God. I am not saying that God's blessings cannot come down in material form, but it's not the way he shows himself unto us. And as he shows himself in different ways, there are times that as long as we find that the electric bill is paid, then God's hands all over this place when he could not even be in the building. 17a, see, on fire Christianity is so absurd sometimes. Um, our family, we live, because we travel all the time, we live in a fifth wheel trailer. We don't travel with it anymore because we hung the keys up after that last breakdown. And I said, Lord, we just drive our van. <laughs> we'll be all right. But we live in a fifth wheel trailer, 40 feet long to be exact. And uh, we were, one day, I was washing dishes with my wife inside of our trailer. And as I was washing dishes, I do everything fast. I talk fast, eat fast, walk fast. I do everything fast. So I'm over there, I'm, I'm washing dishes. And, and here I am, I'm going to town, going to town, and I'm washing it. And as I was washing, though, you know, I put the sink, and I was having this conversation with my wife. And I did something to the handle, and I broke it. I'm like, oh, no. And like, the only way to turn the water off was like to push it down to the left, to the right, to the north, to the south, stand on one toe, head your tongue out, finally it turned off. <laughs> that is so annoying. You know, but me being the tool man I am, <laughs> I didn't fix it right away. In fact, <laughs> it was months before I fixed that thing. <laughs> I mean, not lie, Lord, it was years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember how long it was. However, I was going through, and I remember that um, my wife and I, we just kind of got used to it. We knew how to do it. You know, we turned the water off. You know, there you go. And finally it turned off. And so, I mean, we, it was aggravating at first, but we got, we got used to it. I we went to a church, and uh, we were preaching at the church. We didn't bring our trailer. We were staying in a prophet's chamber. As we were staying in the prophet's chamber, though, um, same thing. My wife and I are talking, you know, we're talking, we're chatting, and as we are, I'm washing, and I'm rinsing different things, and as I'm rinsing, I'm doing, talking to my wife, and I'm trying to turn the sink off. As I'm trying to turn the sink off, it's like, what is wrong with this thing? I'm like pushing it down. My wife stopped me. She said, baby, that one works. <laughs> That's what it really does, right? I'm like, oh, just press it down, and it turns off, you know, whatever. You know what happened to me? <laughs> Listen closely. I got so used to something that was broken that when I saw something that was fixed, it was weird. I got so used to something that was broken that when I saw something that actually worked, it seemed strange. You know what's weird? To be on fire for God. Are you serious? I mean, he's going to... Preacher, he's going to take off work to be at revival. Are you kidding me? Oh, I heard, I heard that they actually are going to actually, like, use their time that they're going to do and, like, do help out with the visitations for the campaign. They're going to do what for vacation Bible school? She was going to be here to, like, she's just on fire for God. What I'm saying is sometimes we look at those stories and we think to ourselves, that is so bizarre when that is normal. It is what God has said. You know what? I'm used to this right here, seeing that's just strange. With some people, older Christians look, well, he'll get out of his system. He'll become like one of us. He'll stop witnessing like that. He'll start working the ministries like that. He'll, he'll get back to where we are eventually. How sad. 
How sad. What I'm saying is, the church thought, you know what, we got I'm rich. We're increased with goods. What do you need? We don't need nothing. We don't need nothing. And this is God's perception of the church. So, okay, so that's a church. That's what a church said about them. Well, that's how they practically lived. Whether or not they said it, here's how they live and what God says, what they say. Then he says this, but no, it's not. 17b, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, a series of sermons can be done upon each of these words because God is not just pulling words out of the air to kind of put them together. He is actually describing very specifically. And I do believe that even though it's not a comfortable study, it is a very intense and very, under, very important study for us to understand how God then is interpreting what he says is the issues going on in this church. I will not go through all the words that he uses. I will only go through two very quickly. The first he used word he uses is wretched. Wretched as the idea to bear to or harden to under um, to bear to undergo to be hardened to be callous. <coughs> Excuse me. Many times we even see the word apathetic many times used because it's an anesthesia type word of the numbing of something so I do not feel something. During the first service, I use the illustration of the matter of apathetic. Is that come to the part of the of God's blessings in our life that we can come to the point to even come. Sometimes we say, oh, Brother Agent, I don't complain about God's blessings. I thank God every day. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, there's a friend of mine who's in South Korea. His, his name is uh, Brandon Song. His family, uh, Marshall, about the church where they're at now. But uh, this, is, this, this is the story he mentioned of his friend who, who came from North Korea, escaped as a refugee in North Korea, him and his sister. His sister, uh, the North Korea, obviously very much close to the things of the gospel and illegal to own a Bible and his family, the, um, Brandon's friend's family, they were safe. Um, they knew the Lord. They had a Bible in their home. And the Korean government was going through and trying to figure out who had Bibles and trying to get them at home. So they ran a campaign, and here's the campaign. They would go to the kids, um, to the kindergarten classes, and they would go and they would tell the parent, the kids, that they're going to make something very special for their parents. So bring the most special thing you own to school tomorrow, and we will make a surprise that's going to blow your parents' mind. The kindergartner didn't know any different. It was Brandon's sister. He, I'm Brandon's friend's sister. He, she didn't know any different. On her way to school, she put her Bible inside. She dug it out of hiding and put it inside the, her book bag, and she took it to school. By the time she got to school, they had confiscated the Bible. They found the parents, and the two, the two kids came home. When they came home, the parents were tied to a post, and there's no reason to even try to describe in a gross contest what had already happened to them. However, they had been beaten. As they were tied to that post, and... As they were there, and they took that tattered Bible by this point, threw it in front of the dad, and said, if you look at your children and tell them this is not your copy of the scripture, and you recant the Lord Jesus Christ, you will see your children grow up. The man says, that's my, that's my Bible, and Jesus is my God. They tried many different things. The last memory that the two kids have of their parents is both of them taken and thrown into a street, and a steamroller came and crushed into both of them. Later on, those two kids actually made it to South Korea as refugees. And a missionary friend of mine, his church and different things are there. Let's just say that God has two eyeballs. Just pretending. One eyeball, he sees that happen in North Korea. And the other eyeball, 
looks down the United States of America. He sees a dad trying to get ready for work. Getting ready for work. Kind of looks down. Oh, I guess I should read. I guess I should read something before I start my day. Get a little word. Oh, that's too long. That's too long. Okay. 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 Now I... He says, even my blessings are a curse. You know, I give you the Bible freely. I put a Bible in the Dollar Tree. Oh, it's just too bulky to carry to church. I just, I just can't. It's just, just too much. <laughs> I mean, who wants to carry the internal word of God? You know, just, just got too much going. Are you kidding me? He says, look, look. He says, Apathy is this, and wretched is this. Here is what's inside of that word. Inside of that word is he's saying, I can't even bless you without you complaining about it. He says, he says I, as I do things, it's numbing. Here is the definition of blessing in American culture. You ready? God blesses me more than my neighbor. Now God's been good. When I got a bigger house than you, and I have a nicer car than you, and I have better things than you, and my kids eat better than you, now God's been good. But God was good to you when the station wagon, baby, and God was good to you when you were living in the one-bedroom apartment, baby, and God's always been good. But sometimes it's so easy to be short-sighted because we are busy comparing. And what he says is, I consider this to be wretched. Because the church of Laodicea, their identity comes in what they have. Their identity comes in how much goods they have, how big your church is, how fancy it is. That's where identity comes in. And it's so far from a biblical model. Instead of saying, God, what can I give you? Is God, I'm going to do so you can go ahead and bless me. God, help us. It's not a fun study. That's what he says by wretched. I'll only do one more word, okay? Miserable. I won't do that one. That one's, that one's a tough one. But I will do poor. Because poor is interesting. Because insulting. You can call a rich person whatever you want, but you better not call them poor. You're crooked, whatever. You're dumb, whatever. Got more money than you. You poor. I ain't poor. I ain't poor now. <laughs> Isn't it the truth? And how insulting a person who has his identity and what they have. This church, their identity is what they have. Actually, you're poor. It's actually, A.T. Robinson puts this picture together. It's really interesting because the word picture is this. is, is trying to fill your belly with crumbs. So, so here's the word picture. <laughs> you have a guy who's really hungry. And he has a table before him, right? As he has a table in front of him, he gets ready to eat. And the rule is this. You can only eat one crumb at a time on this table. It's a table full of crumbs. But the only rule is you got to eat one crumb at a time. So this guy with this appetite comes on a Sunday afternoon, and he starts eating one crumb at a time. And here he goes, eating away, trying to satisfy his belly, if essentially is what he's trying to do. Do you know what many times this is a picture of? People ask you, how you doing? 
Oh, I'm busy. Oh, boy, am I busy. <laughs> got something going over here. Got something in the butt over here, too, as well. Oh, you want to see this thing over here? Got a little phone. I'll show you on my phone. Has this little thing over here. Hey, oh, I'm busy, man. I'm busy. I'm busy. You know what he's doing? You see what he says? You're trying to fill your belly with crumbs. Yeah, you're going. Yeah, they moving. <laughs> yeah, son, they got something going over here, something over there. Check out their phone itinerary calendar. It's almost like a braggadocious say, look how busy I am. What I'm saying is, you're actually trying to still fill your belly, huh? Still trying to feel it, huh? Still trying to be satisfied in there, huh? Still not there, are you? You're poor. What an irony. Is God against us having things? Absolutely not. He told the children of Israel, when you go into that new land, he said, I want you to go build you a goodly house. I don't know what that is, but it's a big one, right? <laughs> He said, you you a goodly house. The problem is when that goodly house got you. <laughs> the problem is when that goodly car got you. Because <laughs> you want to hand me the car to your brand new BMW, I'll take them from you happily, okay? I'll give you a good home, <laughs> you know? He's not, he's against the things having us. And as, so, as he's saying this, what he's saying is in this context here, this is far beyond it having them. They have now got their things in the place of God. And since their things are in the place of God now, they can now go about their life and think they're serving God while God is not even in the picture. Let's move from those words. Because he said, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, oh man, Neck, it's a big one. It's a huge one. We're not going to get there. But let me read verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. That the shame of thy neck is do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye sap that thou mayest see. This is a, a word that's specifically for these people here. They would understand it because that, that medical institution that was, everyone came to, that was 10 miles north, they specialized in the eye. And, and what he says is, how about y'all go up there to that little college you got there? How about you get your eyes checked out? <laughs> you know how to work the eye, obviously. So how about you go up there and check out your eyes and see that you can see that you need me? Won't you, won't you, won't you, won't you try? You say you got so much gold? You say you got so much money? So got, he says, how, how about you try a me go try it in the fire? He's playing off of the very things that are specific to them. It's very rough letter until verse 19. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He reestablishes his love and tells him that, look, it sounds like I'm hating. I'm not hating. I'm just letting you know that I am trying to change your ways. But he says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. What he's saying is be zealous. Is that energy you're using to make all the money, the energy you're using to create all these things, I want you to use that same energy, put it inside a little bottle, and turn it around, and use that energy to repent. Use that energy to change. Use that energy to come back to me. Your ways are against me. So take all that energy. Bring it back. He comes. says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Oh, there's two applications I want you to see in this passage. I understand very clearly the application about a salvation, about God knocking upon a sinner's heart's door. God giving an opportunity for them to be able to understand Jesus Christ and who he is, that you can accept his free gift of salvation. I will never take away that illustration that is there of, of Christ wanting. God says, you want, you want to know you need me. There might 
you're seeking something. You don't even know what it is yourself. But let me tell you, God says if you seek me, he will show himself to you. Just want to be a seeker. He said, if you knock on that heart's door, I will show you're here today and you say you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me not try to use all fancy Christian lingo and little Christian ease for you to understand. Let me just let you know is that, that you have a sin problem and that you must have somebody to save you from that outside of yourself. And the only person from the word of God that can do that is Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life on this earth and died and was buried and rose again. And he is the only one who can offer salvation to save you from that nonsense. And he offers a gift of saying, you give me your faith, I will give you my righteousness, and you can be safe from your sin. Say, I don't know about that. Well, he says, seek me. I'll show you. I will show you. But the second application, which I believe the application, is Jesus talking to the church. He's knocking on the door of the church. How messed up is that? Look, all right. So, <laughs> I grew up in the good old South, right? And uh, South has great things like sweet tea, but it has some dumb things too, right? And uh, when, I, when I was starting in ministry, I remember I got called by church. They want me to come and preach. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll be there, you know, like a week or so out. The youth pastor called me back, right? And he said, oh, brother, you have to cancel the meeting. I'm like, ah, man, you know, meetings, cancellations happen, but... You know, that close is kind of weird. And so I'm like, ah, it's all right. And so, but he, but, but he went on to tell me why they canceled the meeting. He says, Brother Adrian, I'm very mad. But there's nothing I can do about it because I'm not the pastor. But the pastor, when he found out that you were black, he said, there's no way a black man's coming and preaching at his church. And they canceled the meeting. You know, I quote a lot of scripture to myself, like the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, you know, be acceptable in my sight, you know, and. And I thought to myself, man, that's kind of messed up, you know. And well, I'm glad you said amen, because I'm about to say that's the same thing. I'm like, man, I feel kind of bad. <laughs> you know, like, that kind of messed up, isn't it? You let somebody come preach your church, bitch, church, color, skin. I mean, that's pretty messed up. He was more messed up than that. Jesus outside. He's knocking on the door. And look at the wording. Behold, I say in the door and knock. If any man hear my voice. You know what's indicating? There's something going on inside. Everybody's going down. Hey, bro, let's get our worship on, everyone. Get that screen down. Let's see Jesus' name again. Praise him. Praise him. He ain't in the building. He says, if anybody out there, just hush. Just hush long enough. I'm not even there. No, I'm not even there. Won't you just put the phone down for a minute, put everything down for a minute, put everything on pause just for a second, and realize what we are doing, what's going on. Is this even honor God? Is this just some type of motion that just we just automatically just get up and start making our way to the house of God? Because it's just what we do. Is this just tradition, or is this an exercise of worship to our God? He said, any man hear my voice. And actually broaches the fact that he might not be in the building. And somebody walk out there and open the door. He says, I will come in. And I will sit. I will sup. I'll have a meal. I'll fellowship. We'll talk. We can make this happen. If you're willing. The question is, 
it goes back to the beginning of the passage. Practically speaking, where am I? Hot, lukewarm, or cold? If I ask your spouse, hey, <coughs> sure, 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 husband on fire for God. Oh, well, if I ask your kids, hey, sure, your parents on fire for God. Hey, auntie or grandma, is your grandma on fire for God? Kids will be like, well, I wouldn't say they're over there. I mean, no, they go to church. They're not like over there, like, like cold. Um, I wouldn't say they're hot, like they're on fire, because I mean, we will stay home all the time and watch Red Box movies and stuff. So I, I can't say they're on fire. I, I would say they're just somewhere here in the middle, somewhere, somewhere here in the middle. To be on fire for God is non-negotiable. To be on fire for God for Ocean County Baptist Church is you're on fire for God. Or we will, self say, we will say to ourselves, we're okay. We're okay. Being right here in the middle. Let's tell the first service. If American commitment if it wasn't so sad, it would be laughable. Adrian, you sure are bullying us. No, I, I want you to hear me. You know, you know, sometimes people that watch the news are very well versed in what's taking place in our country. We will talk about religious liberties. We might be talking about even that tonight, but religious liberties and different things that are bringing bought to an end. And, and we're wondering what is going to happen with religious persecution takes place in our world today. I think we're very concerned. But I want us to put the brakes on, pump the brakes just for a second. Before we start worrying about ISIS coming and rolling heads for Christians down the road, before we do that, you know, the devil knows it does not take rolling heads from ISIS to make the average Christian in the United States of America renounce Christ. And all it takes is a football game on Sunday. It just takes opening hunting season day. Just takes a truck. Just takes a house. Overtime, baby. Renounce him, baby. Doesn't take guns. Doesn't take the threat of a war. Just takes pleasure. Because is it not consistent with what means the most to Laodicea? Our stuff, my pleasure. And when you threaten that, now we've gone for the jugular. It's not a matter of God won't speak to us. It's not a matter of that God had a letter for me today for this. It's kind of giving it. <laughs> It's just, do we want to actually know what God has to say? The only question, and we get ready for invitation, is this. Are you on fire for God? Let's pray.
God, I pray that my children will see a dad who's on fire for you. I pray my wife will see a father, will see a husband with many mistakes, many problems, but that is striving to be on fire for you. I pray for this church that you would just help them, Father, say, go from here. Lord, not just to go through a rigmarole, not just to go through the motions, not just feel what the feels are going to be, but Lord, they want to serve you because they love you. Because this is more than just a Sunday thing. Oh, this is because we love you thing. But I do pray that the church and the spirit of Laodicea would not exist in this church, in this congregation. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I know that pastor can look over this crowd of people and know stories and situations in life of many of you. I do not know that. I do not have that luxury. So I would ask you to humor me just for a moment. I want no person to walk out of here and say, no man cared for my soul. So if you are here this morning and you say, Adrian, it's what has helped me to know who I'm speaking to. You say, Adrian, I'm not saying in my life I have it all together, but I know that I am a child of God and I do know that I am saved. If that is you, would you raise your hand for just a moment and put it right back down just so I know. It just helps me to know who I'm speaking to. Thank you. Thank you. All across the building. You just put it up right down. Thank you so much. It just helps me to know. I only do heads bowed and eyes closed just to remove distractions. But maybe you're here and you say, Adrian, I'm kind of that seeker. I don't know. But I'm not against God, but I just don't know him as my Savior. Adrian, I would like to, to let you know by an uplifted hand that I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. But I sure would like to know and get it settled. If that is you, would you raise your hand just for a moment, put it down on this Sunday morning. Just up and right back down. I'm not even going to walk up to you. I'm not going to ask for an email address. I just want to know. That feeling inside is not Adrian playing the head games with you. That is called the Holy Spirit of God. If he's speaking to you, I just ask you to give you an invitation. Inside this room, as you're here, the question overwhelmingly is this. Does Ocean, does Ocean, does Ocean County really need God? I mean... When the bills are paid, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the business of the church, but it seems like everything's looking good, clean, nice. Are we living practically as if we need God? This is what's called the invitation. It sounds exactly what it is. It's an invitation. If you're not sure your way to heaven, whether you raise your hand or not, there'll be people here at the front. I'll be here at the front. Just, just kind of tap us and, hey, we'll be happy. To walk to a side room somewhere and just, not because we're better than anybody else, just because I just want to tell one beggar one to another beggar where to find some bread. And I know where to find the bread, baby. It's in the word of God. If I can have the opportunity to tell you where the bread is, honey, I will. If you're here and you say as a Christian that the fire has dwindled. The definition of backsliding is thinking of a time in your life where you're closer to God than you are right now. That's backsliding, baby. And if we have backslidden from that fire, whether you pray there 
I mean, typically invitation to different churches across the nation. Some come forward to the altar. Really? I just want us to pray. That's the point. Whether you, in just a moment when we stand, you come to the altar, or just a moment when we stand, you, you bow there at your seat, or you might sit down there and pray because maybe health conditions or whatever. However it is, whatever it is, what I'm asking you to do this is only you can answer this question, and here is that. Obey God. That's it. Just obey God. Whatever it be, praying upside down, I don't care. Obey God. Whatever he speaks to your heart to do. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Daniel's playing. Can we stand to our feet across the building? If you're physically able, can we stand to our feet across the building? We're not singing right now. We're not singing right now. We're just going to pray. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. If you're not even praying, just out of respect of what's going on. Can we just hush? Let God speak to us. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I invite you. If you want to pray this altar, I invite you. If you want to just sit there where you're at your seat, I invite you. If you want to kneel there, I invite you. If you want to pray where you are, pray, pray. I'm going to hush. Let us get this opportunity to just obey God and pray. God, you're invited here. Let's just pray.